following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today, we were uh, scheduled to spend some more time in the book of John, in John chapter 19, you know, finishing along in the chapter that we were working in last week. And there's this poignant moment in that story. It happens actually during the crucifixion of Jesus, where Jesus is hanging on the cross, but he hasn't died yet. And almost all of his friends have abandoned him, but the women are all still there, his mother included, and one of his male disciples. And he takes a moment to connect you know, his best friend to his mother while he's literally uh, nailed to the cross and, and essentially telling them that it's his, it's his dying wish that they should take care of each other. And it's a really beautiful, poignant moment. I do want to give a sermon about it, about that text, but I decided to postpone it. Um, because of what's been happening in the, in the news for how long now? <laughs> Right? Um, I was saying to Tracy last night, can I just have one normal week? Um, and it's certainly not all about me, but I'm sure that you feel the same way. Can I just have one normal week where there isn't a major traumatic event that, that we have to think about? And um, it's, it's one of those things where for the past three weeks, it seems like I could have pushed my sermon aside and spent the time instead helping us grieve or talk about this a little bit. And I've just said, well, not this time, not this time. And today I'm saying, okay, this time. So we will get to John 19 in that beautiful moment of um, John and Mary and Jesus uh, in June. But for today, I want to talk about the events of the week. I don't want to talk about them in great detail. I think that the details are important, but they're also traumatizing, and we've heard a lot of them, most of us, at this point. But I want to actually start out just by asking you how you feel right now. Um, and, and if you're on Zoom and want to type out something in the chat, I'll try to pay attention to that as well. Um, but maybe you could just sort of shout out an answer. <laughs> One word or a couple of words. How do you feel right now? Angry. Angry. Anybody else feel angry? Okay. Yes. Devastated. Devastated. Disappointed. Disappointed. Numb. Numb. Mm-hmm. Helpless. Did you say helpless or hopeless? Okay. Did anybody want to go for hopeless? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Helpless. Someone in the chat says heavy. Powerless. Exhausted. Exhausted. Scared. Scared. Yeah. Pretty much everything that was shared. Um, someone else said angry in the chat. I saw all the heads nodding. Yes, yes, yes. So that tells me a couple of things, but... Let's start with you are not alone in feeling the way that you feel, which doesn't mean you don't feel it anymore, but maybe it offers a little bit of solace or solidarity. Um, we've had this wretched common experience. So here's a, another question about 
you're feeling. Um, and this is going somewhere uh, other than just the fact that I'm a student in a mental health counseling program right now, <laughs> although that is informing what I, the way I approach my work in different ways. But I'm wondering if you might be able to identify where you feel that in your body, which is maybe a weird question for some of you. But please know that our feelings and our thoughts are not separate from our physical bodies. We are all kind of this mix-up of all of those things. And it can be helpful in understanding your experience and your feelings to think about where you feel it in your body. Where do you feel? Yeah, okay, very descriptive, thank you. The center of my chest like a hurricane. Your gut. Mm -hmm. Tightness in the throat. You said your head is numb. Wow. Tunnel vision. Okay, chest, but more weight than ter like turmoil. Yeah, wow. Somebody else in the Zoom chat says chest, hands. Clenched my hands so much this week, they say. Someone else says sick to my stomach. Tension in my shoulders. In your jaw, yes. Yes, there's a reason why when we do meditation exercises, we're often told, um, you know, unclench your jaw specifically. That's one where we carry a lot of our tension. You, okay, thank you for sharing that. You, you say you pur purposely screamed and made yourself hoarse, so now you're feeling it somewhere else in your body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, by the way, I heartily endorse purposeful screaming. You, know, you might have to choose your time and place, but... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed that. What did you say? The highway, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Probably 20 years ago, I went to this really um, kind of hippy-dippy church conference thing. You'll never believe it. Um, <laughs> it was in Seattle. You, you'll never believe it. And one of the people there was a, an urban abbess. You know what abbess means? It's like an a female abbot. It's, it's somebody who oversees a, an, ab, an abbey, right? And one of the things that she said was a spiritual practice for them was smashing plates that they would, they had this kind of like stone fireplace surround in their backyard and they would take these plates, you can get them at Goodwill or whatever, and just throw them against the stones. And, and you know, I mean, eye protection and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, sometimes we need an outlet for that. Uh, those very intense emotions. So here's another, one more question about your feelings and then we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the Bible. Um, this one might be harder to answer out loud, but I encourage you to be brave and honest, which is this, what or who, who or what are your feelings directed toward? So where do you point your sadness, your anger, your helplessness? Who becomes the object of your feelings? Politicians, yeah. Uh -huh. I heard a verbal yes and a lot of head nods, yeah. The NRA. The NRA. 
Yes, people, that's a very complicated person or group to find, but you, I'm with you there. Yeah, people who could affect change but choose not to because it's not lucrative to do so. Yes. The police. Yeah, I, I, I both could not stand to watch and could not stop watching that, that video. Social media. Social media. Amen. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get some more answers to this question, but let me pause just for, I'll limit myself to 20 seconds. You do not have to doom scroll. The events happened. There's nothing that reading a thousand comments about it is going to change about the events. It's, it is going to make you feel much, much worse. Um, and you are allowed to feel bad, but I would not encourage you to do activities that make you feel worse when you can choose not to do those activities. Okay, that was a little more than 20 seconds. Were you going to say something? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I totally resonate with that. As a parent, you're, you feel like you're trying to explain this to children, and then also, you know, why aren't we doing more, the adults in the room, you know, or in the country? Yeah, and so sometimes the rage or frustration might even be directed at, at ourselves in a certain way. Yeah. Who else gets, is the object of our... Uh-huh, yeah, people in our lives we might be very, very close to who support co politicians and causes that we, we might identify as responsible for this kind of thing. Yeah, there's two hands back there. We'll go here. People who say it's not my problem. Yeah, people who say it's not my problem. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, you said people who don't vote, and then you also said it changed for you this morning. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, so the realization that, that people could be doing more in one way is they could be voting, yeah, yeah. Someone in Zoom says, um, people who foment hate. Another person said, God, politicians, people who prioritize, prioritize gun rights over our children's lives. Yeah. Oh. God help us, yeah. Uh, churches that worship the military in our country. People who do lip service offering empty prayers and condolences, yeah. And to that I would also add, if I might be so bold, um, people who, sorry, I'm t I've been on a total social media uh, crusade lately, but people who post the right things to social media, by which I mean the left things usually, but um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, we have a lot of people out there who, who are saying thoughts and prayers, and we're, I think, almost always correctly lambasting them for doing that, when they are often the people who have 
power to do um, more tangible things. But I also think that the flip side of that coin is like, well, I'm getting my own credibility with my, my sort of tribalized group of people by, by lambasting that politician, right? Or by posting the right thing to my Instagram story, which I, I posted like six things to my Instagram story in one day this week, right? And I'm, I'm not totally sure that that saved anybody's life, you know what I mean? I suppose along with the caution against doom scrolling, I would, I would offer a caution against um, whatever that is. I don't know. Somebody should come up with a, a fancy neologism for that. But um, All right. So I, I am glad that someone uh, was brave enough to say that their feelings were directed toward God. And I heard like a, I think I heard like a, uh, in the room when I read that out after somebody typed it into Zoom. Because I think so often we censor ourselves, especially in public, about that aspect of our response to events like this. Right. We censor ourselves in a lot of ways. Like uh, anger sometimes feels like sin to us, right? So we, we don't want to display any anger. Um, but I think we are really, really prone to censor what I might call the more aggressive forms of doubt. You know, we're, we're comfortable in our own lives and in our religious communities with, like, a certain amount of doubt. And it might vary from church to church. Um, but I think when it gets to a certain point, we're like, okay, I'm definitely not saying that in front of anybody. Or we're definitely not going to put that into a song <laughs> that we'll sing together, right? Um, <laughs> um, I just had a, a memory of a, a very funny occasion in the early days of Artisan Church that probably is not even a shareable story, but now that I'm chuckling to myself about it, I probably can't help but share the fact that we did a, a U2 song today. It was a very, like, very church-appropriate U2 song. Um, it's based on Psalm 40. Uh, but one time, early, early on, when, when our church planting coach was in the room, one of the bands selected a different U2 song, and it starts out saying... Um, well, it has a word in it that typically does not appear in a church worship song. <laughs> like, really does not appear in a, in a worship song. Right? And um, the church planting director was like sitting right there in the front row. And he knew we were different, but I don't think he knew how different we were going to be. <laughs> and he just went like... And then he was like instantly corrected it. We have a, he, he passed away several years ago. We have a tree in our, in our courtyard that memorializes Dr. Larry Lee Sherman um, for many reasons, one of which he, he never even like said a word about that song after the fact. Um, but it was, that was a song, that was a real, like, that's really going to say how you feel song, right? It's talking about the, the state of the world using a very colorful, colorful phrase. Um, <clears throat> Right, so it's, it's, it's not just individuals who censor ourselves. It's also uh, churches and denominations and translation committees and even our beloved lectionary editors, which I'll say more about in a minute. And, and this is both too bad and also I get it. I mean, the truth is that, as I said, there's been three Sundays this month and maybe another half a dozen more since COVID started probably where I would have been like, considering doing some version of what I did today, which is scrapping my sermon and, and, and 
trying to facilitate some kind of corporate grief. And in situations up till today, as I said, I've been deciding against doing that for one reason or another. I mean, it was, it was just too weird to do that when we were fully remote, right? And if you've been with artists in a long time, you know that we've done this from time to time. We did it after the Pulse nightclub shooting. We, we, we did it, we've done it a lot of times. But when I was sitting alone in this room, leading a church service into a laptop, it felt really weird to do that, to try to do that kind of thing. Um, when we first got back together in person, we had kids with us a lot more. And I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to balance this, let's be real about the world and about our faith against um, not every parent chooses to talk about the world uh, in the same amount of detail as the others in the room, and I want to be sensitive to that and respectful of that. Sometimes it's just a little easier to shield ourselves from all of that hard stuff, um, including on Sundays, but I think it's important, extremely important for churches to talk about this, and ideally a church should be the safest place to talk about how we're feeling, including how we're feeling about God and toward God in moments of terrible grief. So one of the ways that we kind of uh, institutionally shield ourselves is in the parts of scripture that get read out loud in worship. Right? Today is actually a day like that. I had chosen uh, a psalm for our call to worship today that would usually be assigned to the gospel reading that we were going to read. Right? We didn't end up using that gospel reading today. We'll get back to it in a few weeks, like I said. But the psalm, I'm not sure if you noticed this, it actually skips around in the, in the chapter of the Bible. So as a matter of fact, let's dig into this a little bit. Um, it's, it's Psalm 31. And uh, if you want to follow along with me, you can, but uh, you, I'll just read it to you again. That This is the call to worship that we used today. It's Psalm 31, verses 1 through 4, and then it jumps ahead to verses 15 and 16, right? So here's what it says in the lectionary approved form. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the, of the net that is hidden from me, for you are my refuge. Skip ahead to verse 15. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Amen. Let's sing a song. Right? And now let me read you the stuff that got skipped, which is Psalm 31, especially verses 5 through 13. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will exult and rejoice in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You've taken heed of my adversities and have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You've set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief my soul and body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery and my bones waste away. 
I'm the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Amen. Let's sing a song. Do you see how the lectionary editors whitewashed that psalm just a little bit? Made it a little bit more palatable for churches to, to maybe say out loud. But those words are in the Bible. Those words are in our sacred, holy text. And I'm glad that they are because we need to know that good, faithful people sometimes feel the way the psalmist felt. And this psalm is attributed to David, by the way. And they need to know how the psalmist felt, not just in verses 1 through 4 and 15 and 16, but in 5 through 13 as well. We need to know that the psalmist felt that way and put it down into song, and it somehow got codified into the sacred text, especially after the week we've had, after the month we've had, after the past two years that we've had. By the way, did you notice the feelings in that text? I am in distress, he said at one point. There was others. Did you notice where he felt them in his body? He said, my bones waste away. My eye is in grief. Have you ever felt like your eye was? And did you notice who they were directed at, those feelings? Right? He said, Started, started that section that I read by saying, be, be gracious to me, O God, because I'm in distress, and here's all the ways. But that whole thing was directed at God. I hope that offers you some um, encouragement and courage when you want to direct something like that at God, too. I mentioned that today's gospel reading was going to be a few verses about something that you know, something Jesus said while he was on the cross. And we didn't go there, but it did remind me of something else Jesus said on the cross. Now, it's actually not recorded in John's gospel account of the crucifixion. It's not in Luke's account of the crucifixion either, but it does appear in both Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel. And you may have heard it before. Jesus on the cross said the words. He said he cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? It's truly an amazing moment in Scripture to think that... I mean, imagine if someone stood up in the middle of church and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We would sort of shepherd them out of the room and say, like, maybe take that to your prayer closet, buddy. But Jesus, who was in very nature God, the scripture tells us elsewhere, felt so separated from God, so abandoned by God, that he cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is like a psalm of lament times 1,000. What a powerful pathway to solidarity. What an expression of total identification with the depths of the human condition. So if anyone else felt this past week, like watching the news that maybe God had at least temporarily abandoned humanity, 
and then immediately shush yourself saying, oh no, you can't say that. You can't even think that. Don't let the pastor know you thought that. Don't let your religious aunt know you think that. Don't tell your spouse or partner that you think that. Just keep it to yourself. I want you to know that Jesus said those words publicly, out loud, on the cross. And here's the other thing that I want you to know, that those words were not original to Jesus. Some of you might know that Jesus was actually quoting one of the Psalms when he said that phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm running out of time, but I need you to hear these words. I'm going to read to you the, f the first half of Psalm 22. And if you want to read along in your Bibles, it's on page 434 in these red hardcover Bibles. Maybe listen for the emotions in the text and um, where the psalmist feels them in their body and, and who the emotions are directed at, too, because that's one of the things I've been re returning to here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others, despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me, and a company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and from my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. <laughs> I've heard songs that are based on a few of those words, but I've never heard one that had all those words in it. Did you notice the feelings, the emotions that this author was feeling when they wrote this psalm? Did you notice where in the body it was felt? Did you notice that it was directed both at human enemies and also at a God who seemed absent and distant? Did you see yourself in any of that?
want to tell you two more things about this, and then I will conclude. The first is that you can use this as a basis for prayer, and you should. I'm pretty, um, pretty stingy, stingy with my shoulds in my sermons, but I think you should use this type of thing as a prayer. As Doug said about the Lord's Prayer, as I've said many times in the history of our church about the other prayers that we use, sometimes we don't have the words, and the words that are already written down can be the ones that we need. And a week like this, if you can find a psalm of lament, it will give voice to the feelings that you have in a way that you didn't know you needed. The second thing is this. It is, yes, Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, is an absolute moment of solidarity and identification with all of humankind in the various sufferings that we experience as people who, who um, make our way around this planet. But it's not just that. It's not just an act of solidarity. It's not just for people who have suffered to look to him on the cross and know that he suffered too. It is also an implication It's also Jesus encouraging us to call to mind the rest of this psalm. I'm not going to read you the second half of Psalm 22, because the last thing I would want want you to think is that I am rushing you toward rejoicing. We are not ready, some of us, to pivot to praise. But almost all of the psalms of lament do. My theory is that they were written in two sections. (laughs) As a songwriter myself, I know sometimes you write verse 1 in December and verse 2 in July. I think that's probably what happens with some of these psalms. But we read them as one whole piece and we think, oh my goodness, I I I can't pray the second half of this psalm, not yet. But I want you to know, I need you to know that Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is designed to give you a sense that Jesus knows your suffering and it's also designed for you eventually to find your way to the end of Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. (laughs) To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. He did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me. Please understand, I know that you're not ready for that sometimes, some of you right now. I'm not trying to rush you to it or set an expectation that you should be ready to rejoice at full volume just yet. What I am doing is trying to give you and myself a reason to hope. And that reason comes because ultimately did, Jesus did conquer suffering and death. So yes, find solidarity in his sufferings, but also find hope in the resurrection, because we are people of a resurrection. We are people of hope. But we don't have to pretend that it's always the first thing on our list of feelings. All right. Amen. Let's sing a song. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.